Where Kindness Lives is designed to cultivate a kinder world by helping to inform and inspire. Hosted by Jenny Sager from Nextdoor, the neighborhood network connecting you to what truly matters so you can belong. We'll chat to the most thought-provoking individuals paving the way for positive change and hear from neighbors who deliver small acts of kindness every day. So come on a journey to where kindness lives. And what a journey series two has been. You know, thinking back to season one when we just kicked it off in a tiny little bedroom, moved into a podcast studio, recorded guests all over the world. We've had so much fun. It's been a great ride. And we are so excited from all of us here at Where Kindness Lives. Thank you for listening and spreading kindness to all of your neighborhoods around the world. It's been an amazing season of guests. So let's revisit some of the best moments from this year. Cricket is a truly global sport, and international cricketer Brett Lee is adored no matter where the game is played. Not only for his competitive spirit, bowling Thunderbolts is a fast bowler. That is quick. Wow. That is seriously quick. But as we discovered for being a top bloke off the field, he was full of surprises, especially the story that made him a Bollywood music star. I know I'm different, I'm not from here. I'm just another guy With blonde hair though It's hard to hide I think I got you right That's enough <laughs> You don't lose all your um, Your listeners oh, Alright, tell us a little bit about that That is Brett singing on yes. You're the one for me How'd that come about? What happened here? Are you still singing? Uh, 2006 we just come back from uh, Cricket training Walking in uh, where was a Mahali up north, and this gentleman yelled out. So imagine when you, you're playing with the Australian cricket team in India, as you know, there's people everywhere, 1.5 billion people. So walked in through the hotel foyer, and there's fans there, and they want autographs and stuff because the Australian cricket team are on tour and blah, blah, blah. And this gentleman goes, Brett, he pulled me over, and he goes, um, we're doing a collaboration with a very famous Indian singer who you would have never heard of, heard of. Her name's Asha Bosla. I said, of course I've heard of her. She's a legend. He's like, really? <laughs> He's like, okay, um, we'd love you to be involved. I said, well, because she's like the Aretha Franklin of India. I'm yeah. like, of course I want to be involved. I said, who's she working with and what's, what's the collaboration and what are you trying to achieve? And they said, oh, you know, we're doing stuff with Sanjay Dutt and blah, blah, blah from Bollywood and this guy from Bollywood. And Robbie Williams, I went, what, from England? They went, yeah, we're doing like a re, like a retake on Angels. I said, well, if, if Robbie's in, I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. What do I have to do? They said, come down to the studio tomorrow, just sing your guide vocal and that's it. So I took his details down. I said, look, I'm super keen. We're playing cricket in two days' time after sneak because we are in a bubble back then too. We weren't allowed to go out. I said, look, I'd have to sneak out because I didn't want to tell anyone I was going to go and do a music sort of song or, a, you know, a film clip or whatever and I went upstairs got my guitar wrote this uh that cheesy love song in 18 minutes rang up the gentleman called Shamir Tendon and I said uh I've got the song he goes what do you mean I said I just wrote a song let's hear it so play the song he goes brilliant done <laughs> and I'm like okay well what happens now and he goes we'll come down and so I went down and I put the the track down and I and I said it'd be really cool if I sang the whole part in English up to the end and then me have a crack in, in Hindi at the end. And if Usher sang her whole part in Hindi and at the end she can have a go in English. He's like, brilliant. <laughs> so did the song. We had to win that next day because if we lost the next day, the tour was over, we go straight home. 
I'm like, we've got to win because I've got to go. Because there, there was talk about doing a film clip in because she was based in Mumbai. Yeah. So we won that did, next wait, day. Hold on. Did anyone on the team know? No that one had a clue. Is, no, okay. Because right, I yeah, snuck yeah. out. I yeah. like snuck out of the team hotel. And if I would have got, you know, found I would have been probably kicked off the tour. wasn't through COVID bubble. It was just like a security bubble. Yeah. So we won. We then go to Melbourne. I then sneak out again to go and do a film clip for two hours with Usher Bosley. And that was it, just did it for fun. Six weeks later, my manager at the time said, your song's debuted at number six in India. And I'm like, this is a G up. And then went to number one. I was like, no way. So my claim to fame is that I've got a number one song in India, cheesy, rubbish, horrendous love song I wrote in 18 minutes. But to go to the ground and play IPL and hear half of the crowd that where I was down on the side of the field singing which means, yes, I'm yours, I'll be yours forever. I, I laugh, I pinch myself, and I just think, how the hell did this happen? Oh, my gosh. When's part two coming out? Come on, we need a follow-up. Well, it's funny because <laughs> all my mates were sledging me going, that's a rubbish song, it's horrendous. I'm like, yeah, but they love it, you know? And well, how many it, number one hits have you got mucking around? Yeah, exactly. Well, and it did also lead to Unindian, the movie, didn't it? They kind of, yeah. Yeah, it did. So, look, I think with, with India... You know, the fact I've tried to learn a bit of the local language um, and that's just to be kind and polite and that's what obviously what we're here for today is, is all about kindness and everything. And for me, if I'm a guest in their country, to learn a bit of the local language, to say thank you, to greet them and then to do a song, get involved with Bollywood, do do a, you know, a film which was based in Australia but went <clears throat> over to India, the fact that you're actually... You know, you're trying to make an effort in, in their culture. That's when you get that love back. Imagine the enormity of having your signature printed on U.S. currency, let alone being the first female to do so. Enter former federal treasurer Rosie Rios. If you're listening to this in America, take out a bill and chances are you'll see Rosie's name on it. Rosie's chat was so inspiring, but the rise to the top was filled with many challenges. I, I do want to just ask you a little bit more about you leading the initiative to put the the very first woman on the face of the U.S. currency, as you mentioned. Why was that specifically so important to you? Why did you feel like that really was something that you needed to get done? You know, when you look at something for a while and you start to see a pattern develop, and so I was looking through all these concepts, I realized that every single image that I came across uh, of a man was a real man, you know, a cabinet member a president, a founding father. But every single image that I came across of a woman was not a real woman. They were allegorical, like Lady Liberties, you know, sometimes clothed and sometimes not clothed. And so I did a little bit of homework back then. I realized at that time, this was actually December of 2008, that there were almost 30 countries uh, who had women on their currency. And I couldn't, and, and I realized, oh my gosh, we've never, ever had the portrait of a woman on our Federal Reserve notes. We did have uh, Martha Washington on the silver certificate, you know, way back when, uh, you know, over 100 years ago. Uh, but, but nothing on our, again, nothing on our Federal Reserve notes. So I, I just thought that, you know, how could that be that if, if um, you know, if, if, if we are kind of the spirit of democracy, how could we be missing half the population in terms of how we institutionalize our history on these products, right? So if you go around the world, you usually see a very important person on the front of a piece of currency, and on the back is usually some 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 edifice, a monument, uh, an activity. And so, you know, this is how we tell our stories. And we are 51% of the population, and if, and if all these other countries were honoring 
their history, including women, as you know, one of the leaders of the free world, how could we not be doing the same thing? This podcast is brought to you by Nextdoor, the world's largest neighborhood network. Most of you know that, of course, but many wouldn't know that RHQ is in the Tenderloin neighborhood in San Francisco, which is one of the most challenging areas in America for its homelessness, crime, and drug problems. But it also has a rich, endearing history of culture and community, which is exactly why we set up here, as Nextdoor CEO Sarah Fryer explained in Episode 5. So we were looking for space right ahead of the pandemic. Um, Ironically, we were living in a kind of a very tech hub building along with another social media platform who shall remain nameless. (laughs) And I really felt it was doing bad things to our culture, frankly, just getting in the elevator every day. Like, and you know, I will not name names, but let's just say at around 4.30, it was not a good time to try to leave the building because they were all leaving the building and you couldn't get back in again. And that was not the culture I wanted, like a high performing team. So we went out to look and we had options, right? We had this beautiful building we're sitting in right now that was being developed um, in the Tenderloin. But there was also, you know, Salesforce Tower, that gorgeous, you know, big glass edifice that's downtown. There were other beautiful, very pristine, kind of what you'd expect of a tech company. And why we chose this, and I give full credit to Brian Power, our head of people, and Vaughn, our amazing head of facilities, was because we felt it truly reflected the soul of Nextdoor, because it was gritty. Like, you step outside the building, it's totally gritty, and you actually understand why it's so important to do what we do. Um, Because if communities aren't healthy, they really start to degrade quite quickly. And to your point, you end up with, like, people who are unhoused, um, not through their own choice in any way. You have drug problems. It's, it's really hard to look out the window here and not feel like, oh, my God, our work is not done. And then you meet neighbors like Glide who uplift you in the other way, where you think about what it must have been like starting Glide back when it was more oriented around the church, when you had the choir coming every Sunday, then they start to feed people. And today when we do our next door in the neighborhood moments, which is kind of our twice a year when we do some volunteering, when I go down to Glide and help manage the lunch, you know, I'm literally just handing up boxes or I put like the fried chicken in the box and fried chicken day is a really big day. Just the impact that you're having and it's very not typical of who you might expect. It's literally someone that just looks like your grandmother who's come to get the free lunch and you really think like, wow, okay, there's a lot of need out there that's very you're very blind to. And by living in it, you know, again, it refills my bucket, certainly, of passion and energy to do what I do every day and then hopefully inspire everyone at next door to keep doing what we're doing. And of course, literally across the road in the Tenderloin is social justice organization Glide, which is an iconic San Francisco institution and does incredible work to help those in need. Whether it's the thousands of meals they hand out each day to the support programs to help those who have fallen on tough times, I loved this conversation with the charismatic Marvin K. White and his right-hand woman, Jean Cooper. Are the people that are out on the street that you're serving in the morning same people that come into the church? Are they different? They're both different and the same. So we have a table we set outside every Tuesday It's our prayer table, and it's something we just have been doing about a year this time. And we transcribe the prayers of the folks who are in line for food. Dozens 
of prayer slips every day come in and we bring those prayers into our prayer group circle. And if you wanna know how this community is doing, the best way is to read their prayer request. And it is not only for food, housing, clothing, but it's for joy, it's for safety, it's for family. And we have several tracks of church. We have a couple sanctuaries. We have our, our big sanctuary here, um, which is mostly folks of privilege who come. And then we have a Freedom Hall downstairs um, sanctuary where folks with their belongings can come in who don't feel comfortable or don't even want to come up here because we have a big screen TV. We do a simulcast. We serve coffee and donuts and they can charge their phones and they can have their stuff with them. And that is church. They could be in the middle of mental health crisis. They can walk around. They can just do what they need to do to be comfortable. And we bring the two together. You know, we talk about the other parts of this community that this community of folks who come into the sanctuary step over to come into the sanctuary. So we make sure that we connect folks of privilege to folks who are suffering every Sunday. Where Kindness Lives will be back in a flash. Everyone is feeling the pinch with rising costs of living and socialization is becoming a luxury. But connecting with your neighbors is free, and scientific research shows it can actually reduce financial stress and improve mental health and well-being. Nextdoor is 100% free and is a safe and easy way to find like-minded people in your local area to grab a coffee with, go for a walk, join a book club, or simply say hello. Download the Nextdoor app or go to nextdoor.com today. Imagine writing a novel just from your experience on Nextdoor. Could you do it? Well, that's exactly what New York Times bestselling author Tara Conklin set out to do. But as she discovered, the old adage, don't judge a book by its cover, played true. And the result was a neighborhood hit. Every single day, right there on next door was like enough drama and pathos and tragedy and humor and, and humanity to fill, you know, a novel every day of the week. Um, so I really thought it would be fun and, a, and just a kind of a, a narrative challenge to write a novel just with next door posts. So like have the entire action of the plot come out within the posts. And I started to write that and then COVID happened. And I had three kids, you know, remote schooling at home 24-7. You know, we all thought, what the hell is happening? The world is falling apart, you know. And and so I I stopped writing. I mean, I just didn't have the the kind of the bandwidth for it. And I thought, my God, who wants to read a novel when, like, the world is falling apart? Like, I... I, um, (laughs) But after a little while, after a few months of, like, quarantine and stress and anxiety and all of the stuff that we were all going through, um, I went back to that project. And first of all, I I needed to laugh. I really wanted to make myself, you know, giggle for again. And I also was recognizing in a very profound way just how important community was in my everyday life and for my kids and for my friends and to have it just suddenly and completely withdrawn was very you know it it was really really hard for everyone and um Mm -hmm. 
So, so my, so my take on the material kind of shifted and it was less about sort of this narrative, you know, fun task of telling a story through Nextdoor and really more of a, like a love letter to community. Um, and so that's kind of what the book became. If I say Dorinda, most people know exactly who I'm talking about. That's right, it's Real Housewives of New York star and author of Make It Nice, Dorinda Medley. We at Nextdoor love this candid and funny chat so much that we made two episodes, so picking a highlight was really hard. There were just too many. Let's take a listen to where Dorinda talks about her Make It Nice movement, where she does an act of kindness every single week. The week's almost over. Yes. Have you done it yet this week? I did it. You know what I did the other day? I went to, it's very, it's a small thing, but I, I the kid, the, the boy that was working, it was so nice. So I am a big McDonald's person. I love McDonald's. I allow myself McDonald's once a month. I have the app. It's one of the best apps you'll ever get because they have all kinds of free stuff on it. And I go for every, growing up in a big family with no money, I go for everything free. So if there's a free option, I will get it. Okay. <laughs> Hannah's like, you study those CVS uh, coupons. Like it's, you're going to Harvard. I'm like, wait a second. Okay. <laughs> so on, they had French, um, happy French fry. It was French fry national day. Yes. And uh, on your app, you got a code and you can go get a free, free french fries, yeah. a large french fries. So of course I've, Put myself in the car, picked up my mother, and uh, off we went to the McDonald's. <laughs> and I got my free franchise. And when I pulled up to the thing, I, I gave him twenty dollars. He said, "No, it's free." I said, "No, that's for you." Oh my gosh! Okay. And the kid, he said, "Really?" He said, "Man, that is so nice." He said, "That really means a lot to me." Do you know that? Almost to a point where I thought he was going to cry. I was like, "Well, don't cry over twenty. Let me give you a hundred, and then maybe we can shed a tear, right?" But <laughs> I don't, but I just, it was just that moment of him, he, he just changed. Yeah. yeah. Well, and he, he probably paid it forward later in the day. That's the it. Week also. So hopefully now when the next person comes to the drive-thru, he's a little happier. Yeah. Maybe he'll go home and tell his mother the story, yeah. you know, and, and it just, it made me feel so good. It does. It makes you, it makes the person doing the act feel just as good as the person receiving it. Of course, this podcast also sheds some light on the kind acts from neighbors, which normally go unnoticed until now. This series, we started the kind shout out. And during our conversation with cricketer Brett Lee in episode one, a very famous neighbor who used to drive a big red car called in to give Brett a shout out. Yep, we're talking about the original yellow wiggle, Mr. Hot Potato himself, Greg Page. G'day, Bingham. How are you, mate? Hello, Paige. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, really well, mate. Yes, I must say you are one kind neighbour. You're a good oh, guy, mate. You're a good man, mate. I've polished that red car a few times for you, mate, so. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and bring the rubbish in for me. You do so many good things. <laughs> How does a wiggle become friends with a cricketer anyway, Greg? Oh, well, it's funny because when you're a musician and you love cricket, and when you're a cricketer who loves music, you find common passion. So Peter and I hit it off. We've known each other, I don't know, 23 years or something. Yep. It's yeah. been it's been a long time. And I remember it was at the at the SCG we, we caught up and, you know, we're talking about cricket, talking about music, and uh, we're both obviously massive Elvis Presley fans as well. So going over to Paige's house and uh, had the pleasure to drive Elvis Presley's last uh, car, didn't we, Paige? Yeah, the Cadillac, yeah. That was great, oh mate. Oh, my gosh, that is crazy. All right, Brett, favourite Wiggle song. Let's hear it. Well, it's funny when you've got um, the kids that have all come through. Uh, I know most of the songs from the Wiggles. I could uh, could play Hot Potato, I could play um, 
you know, two two chugger chugger big red car, the whole the whole thing. And it's it's been it's it's funny. We've had a couple of nights with some close friends with their kids, and the kids go to bed, and here we are after a couple of beverages singing um, the Wiggles tunes. And the kids are asleep, so just goes to show how 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 catchy it was. <laughs> um, on a serious note, though, you guys have both shared an experience that was really, really hard to take in. Obviously, Greg, with your own cardiac arrest, and Brett, you were witness to some pretty scary situations. Mm. Um, how did you two come about and and start working together? Yeah, well, look, after I survived a sudden cardiac arrest, I started up a charity called Heart of the Nation. And, um, you know, not too long after I started up that charity the same year, uh, Binger, you were in a situation where you needed to do CPR. Mm. And really that that common uh, experience, uh, although the outcomes were different in both situations, um, I remember talking to Brett just after he had to do CPR on a very close friend. Uh, he made a commitment to help support me with my mission with Heart of the Nation to get more people in Australia to learn how to do CPR and to have a go. And you know, Bing has been a great friend over the years and now he's a great ambassador trying to help spread this message and, and this, uh, you know, support the cause, which I'm extremely grateful for. Did you know that military families relocate to a new neighbourhood every two to three years? And more than 70% of them live in civilian communities, with nearly half not feeling a sense of belonging. Enter Blue Star Families, America's largest organization helping members of the military and their relatives stay connected and supported. So, a partnership with Nextdoor was a match made in heaven. We're really excited to talk to Kathy Roth Duque today. Kathy's the founder and CEO of Blue Star Families. Welcome to Where Kindness Lives. I'm delighted to be here, Jenny. Thanks for having me. In my own family, we moved nine times in 16 years. So so think about that, you know, and we're not moving on to bases. Usually we're moving into communities. So that means you have to figure out what's the school district I want my kids to be in. You know, what's that location be? How long is the commute going to be for my spouse? Am I going to work and how am I going to get to where I am? Figuring that out sometimes in very short order and then how am I going to make this place seem like home? Um, it, also in short order. And then knowing I'm going to have to pick up and do it again. So, um, you know, I, I, there's a military kid when we were talking about this once, what does resilience mean? And he said, in my re- word, in my family, resilience is a three word sentence. Suck it up. In the 21st century, we need a little bit more than that in terms of uh, comfort and success, you know? <laughs> Definitely. Well, and there's that famous saying that, you know, marriages, deaths and moving are the three most stressful things in life. And so when you think about this segment of the population moving that many times, that's a lot of stress, isn't it? Yeah, it it, it really is. And the wonderful thing is, is that as big as the stress is, there's a really simple and wonderful solution to it. Well, is that that personal experience that really sparked the idea to create Blue Star Families? You know, Jenny, it really was. And the interesting thing about that is that although it was a real struggle for me and I always worked and I always had a big network, but then, you know, I found myself lonely a lot because you move to a place where you're brand new and you don't have family and friends and you have young kids to take care of and your husband leaves to a a place that you can't reach him. It, It can be lonely, but it took me a while after we were running Blue Star Families, which I started kind of for my neighbors. Like I saw my neighbors went through, which in some ways was, 
I felt like it was tougher than what I went through because I was older and had more resources. But, you know, it, it, after a couple of years, I realized these were my challenges too. Sometimes I think we push away that those are our challenges, but realizing that actually that was, that was hard and it was sad. In her early 30s, avalanche rescuer Susan Purvis lost her way. Navigating through her lostness was a story of inspiration and optimism when a Labrador pup helped save her life, and as it turned out, countless others too. When I was in ski patrol school, I learned about an avalanche that had crashed down across the street and buried three toddlers. Can you imagine you're on ski vacation in Colorado and your kids are out playing for, um, in the snow waiting for the shuttle bus to bring them back to Texas, and at 9 a.m. there's bluebird day and a wall of snow comes down and buries your kids. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. They're gone like a tsunami. Crazy. And everybody rallied, you know, people grabbed pool hooks and, you know, hockey sticks, whatever they had to start probing the snow. Well, I was hearing the story from ski patrollers and then they said, well, we had a trained avalanche dog, so we brought him over to the scene. And I'm like, oh, wow. It's like the first time I'd heard about avalanche dogs. And I'm like, what the dog do? Did the dog find him? And the guy's like, nope, he didn't find him. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's trained. Isn't that the dog's only job? And I kept saying, wait, you know, this story's not over yet. How come that dog didn't find the humans? And he, his answer he gave me wasn't good enough. And I thought, Hmm. What if I got a dog and trained trained it to save lives? And in that moment, I vowed to never leave anyone behind. Oh my gosh! It was also the same year. It was also the same year I said to my husband, "Till death do us part." Going through life, keeping a promise, and then there's some promises you just can't keep. But I'll tell you right now, I kept the uh, the dog promise. <laughs> we were. We never left anyone behind and we were, you know, we really rose to the top of our game and we were the team that law enforcement called for, you know, water, wilderness, avalanche and homicides. Wow. What an incredibly inspiring and talented group of guests we had this year. Kindness really does rise and empower those to do good in their communities around the world. Thank you so much to everyone who joined us in series two. The good news is that we're coming back in 2024 for Series 3, and I cannot wait to share more motivational stories and takeaways that you can bring home to your neighborhood. From everyone here at Where Kindness Lives and the wider Nextdoor family, we hope you have a wonderful festive season, and we'll see you in the new year. Stay kind. Stay kind.